Well, let me give you a little bit of background <coughs> to this. First of all, uh, you probably are well aware now that from time to time, God will speak to me through uh, an old song. You wouldn't necessarily know it because you don't have the richness of heritage, a musical heritage that I have. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of the things. I guess I don't really care too much how God speaks, as long as he does speak. And, and that he equips me to listen and hear. It can get a bit off-putting when your wife comes up to you and says, what's that noise going on? Were you singing up there? And I hadn't exactly realized I was, but clearly I was. But it, to me, it was good, you know? And uh, I, I mean, we have to indulge one another. I remember as a kid uh, growing up, my grandfather was a, a Pentecostal pastor uh, and served in a, with a real heart of compassion, a very humble man, and served for many years uh, leading a church in Canning Town. He didn't have brilliant health, uh, and he, I don't know whether he was asthmatic or a bronchial condition, but he would from time to time, when he was teaching, break out in song. And true to the family tradition, he wasn't a great singer. And I, do you know what I remember about it? I can remember him doing it, because I was just like a little kid then, you know. But I can remember my, his daughters would be like my mum or my aunt's how uh, disgusted they were, how embarrassing it is. I wish he wouldn't do that. Because it didn't stop him. I mean, he was... <clears throat> he had four daughters, and uh, he wasn't easily dissuaded or persuaded by any one of them, I think. So. so it must be something that's deep in my makeup. You can't really hold me responsible for that. It's, you know, it's something in the genes. It's something in the background. Uh, but this week... or. Uh, I think it was this week or maybe last week. Uh, same kind of thing happened. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking, saying, Lord, uh, what are you saying? And this old song came. Now, you'll be glad to know, I can't remember how the first line goes. Oh. In fact, it so got me that Dawn got onto her mum, and her mum dug out the music book, and I said, that's like giving me a book of Chinese. It won't make any difference, you know? But here's the, here's the heart of it. Here's what God was saying. How I love him. How I love him. Because for me, he bled and died. How I love him. Oh, how I love him more than all the world beside. And as much as I could, this thing, you know, when you get stuck on a, a song, but it wasn't the song, it was something that God was saying. And I, I began to think about it. I thought, yeah, that's true, how I love him, how I love him. Because for me, he bled and died. How I love him, oh, how I love him, more than all the world beside. I thought, you know, 
There might be moments and times when this is a true statement of where we stand. Certainly as far as I'm concerned. There are other times when I've got to confess, this is an aspiration. This is really where I'd want to be. And that was the thing that sort of set me thinking. Uh, it was sort of thinking around that, kind of picking up what God was saying. And then it gets a bit bizarre after that. So I'm settling that this is, this is an aspiration. I, I realize that God is saying something. You know that, don't you? I mean, you, how do you know it? I, I don't know how you know it, but something, it, it's of a different nature. And because and it was a song thing, I kept on, and, um, and Dawn tried to help, and she, you couldn't get the first line either, could you? I got it now. I, I'll give it to you now. No, she doesn't want it. Okay. So you know broadly my view of Christian television, don't you? I think I've made that clear. I'm not always politically correct. I'm not always discreet. I try to be honest. So I think most of it is puke factor 10. Yeah? But my wife and I, over these years, have come to certain ways of living together. Uh, And that means accommodating one another in a loving way. And so, while we're away, um, instead of, well, whether we're away or here, but instead of watching a program, I kind of flick through the channels. And in the States, where we were, of course, there's more, at various times, more of the Christian television. I normally move quick, lest something, something sort of gets out and infects me. But on this particular occasion, would you believe it, I'm flicking through, she does something else because the frustration level otherwise would lead to violence. (laughs) And I'm hearing Joyce Meyer. And I'm saying, wait a minute, what I'm hearing is the same as what God is saying to me. Stop and listen. And you know, I've said this before, I've, I've flicked through and I've suddenly heard something. I mean, we've got to understand that a lot of this is, is rubbish and tripe, but God still speaks through all sorts of ways. And, you know, God can speak through anything. So, and then Dawn's listening to it as well. So, we're saying, wait, wait a minute, this is... This is there's a sense that we're hearing something here. And it, it was already mixed in with things that I was, I was picking up. So, right, that moves on. One of the other things of accommodation together in our life is that she likes to go to the shops. Um, mostly, that means when we're over there, I drive her there, I sit in the car and read, she goes around the shop, she calls me to pay the money or <laughs> to... It, if she needs any other assistance. Otherwise, there is an odd shop we might go into together, but I'm sent off because I'm surplus to requirements and probably a nuisance. You know, when somebody with that anointing to shop is moving in their anointing, they do not need any, any distraction. 
they move in the spirit of shopping, you know. So, we're in Walmart. Now, Walmart is like Asda times about five. You know, it's huge. And she's somewhere or other. And, I'm, and what do I see? Lo and behold, in Walmart, on the bookshelf, is the very book that this Joyce Mayer has just been, just been talking about. I was like, wait a minute. No, no, this is getting spooky. And more, more to the point, it was a quarter of the price that they were advertising it on the, on the telly. So this is spooky in a good sort of way. I thought, no, I can't, I can't, can't possibly buy a Joyce Meyer book. Anyway, I bought it. <coughs> and I'm going to refer to some things from it because it was, it's all part of what God was saying. Just to add to that, right, I'm outside in the car park, sitting in the car, uh, it's not that hot, so the windows are down, the fresh air and carbon monoxide is, is, is flowing in. And then, you know, parked here, minding my own business, reading my book, wife very happy in the shop there. There's a, a, a gap there, and then another car comes and parks here, again with the window down. And there's a woman driving it, and she's got the radio on, quite loud. And she's got some preacher on the radio. Would you believe it? The preacher is preaching the very things that have been stirring. So much so that one or two of the scriptures I want to bring to you this morning came as a result of overhearing that. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is, this is really weird, you know. But since we're open for God to speak to us. So I want to, I want to pick up some of those things. And I feel that, that this is something that God is saying to us at this time. Uh, and it comes out of this aspiration. And if you want to title it's, it, it's very simple. It's increasing in our love for God. And I know that he's spoken to us a lot about this in recent times, loving him, loving one another. It feels as though he's not finished. And the interesting thing is this, that, is that as God brings things, it's not just information. It comes with an effect. It touches your heart. It touches your emotions. And we want to dwell in, in the fact that God has designed us body, soul, and spirit. That's how he's made us. And that's how he wants us to be able to respond. So we're not saying we're there, but we're saying we're on the way. Aspirational, not always actual, but here's the good news. He works in us. Philippians 2 verse 13 uh, instructs us, tells us that it's God who works in us both creating the desire as well as giving the ability to do and to be what he wants. So the good news is God is at work in us. We have a desire for God because God works there. Uh, we have a desire for the things of God because God is at work. It wouldn't happen otherwise. Uh, you know, the good news is that God is at work in us. That is not something that we have managed to conjure up. This is what God does. Now, it's also worth noting 
that our development, and our development is about change, isn't it? You change from one thing to another. You know, you, you grow up, you learn new things, you change. There are some things you discard, other things you pick up. Uh, our change uh, is important. I remember John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. That, that kind of rings down through the ages. That's about the change. Problem is that you can't change if you don't see it. If you don't see the need to change, it's never going to happen. Because change, actually, only, only I can decide to change. You can say all sorts of things to me. You can all say things to me. or All sorts of pressures can be brought to bear, but only I can decide to change. It's a door that only opens from the inside. So, if I don't see it, if you don't see it, then we won't change. John 3, 3 tells us, or shows us how we actually need his help. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the work of the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to see things, to see uh, the opportunity, to see the need for change, to see that development. That very fact of coming in to see it, that realization, even as we heard this morning uh, from Richard, wait a minute, that was, that's a lie. That's God the Holy Spirit revealing something which enables change. If you can't see it, it ain't going to be changed. We need God to actually help us. And that's what he's committed to do. So, here we are. Why do we love him in the first place? Why do we love God in the first place? Because he first loved us. Actually, it starts from what he did. You know, and in fact, he loved us to the point that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that, that was the measure of his love. So we're, we're understanding, because I don't want us to think we've got to try harder. I don't want us to think that this is something we've got to work out. This is something where we comply and work with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't help us, we, 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 we've got no hope. We won't see the need for change. It won't happen. But when God shows us something, we have a choice to embrace that, to respond, or to stay as we are. He gives us that choice. We love him because he first loved us. That's our starting point. You know, uh, and God, are you done with me? Is this it? Is this as far as I'm to go? Uh, have you kind of removed now? And, and this is it? But hang on a minute. If that's the case, why do I desire something else when the Bible tells me the very desire for something comes from God? See, when we desire something, we know that that is what God is doing. We commit our way to him. We trust in him. He gives us the desires of our heart. See, he works in us, creating that desire, and then in order to fulfill that desire. Now, if, that, if our desires are based in the flesh, then all we can think about is getting a, I don't know, extended pink Cadillac or something like that. Or lots of money. I mean, that's just out there. You know, in, in La La Land. We're talking about real people. 
<clears throat> then we begin to think, okay, so what is he saying? He said, come to her that you should have life. And that you should have that more abundantly. You should have more. There should be an increase. Uh, at no point did he withdraw that. and no point did he say, okay, we're done with that now, this is it. No, the desire to, to, for, to move on, the desire to love him more, the desire to, to change comes from him at work in us, fulfilling this promise of more abundant life, more of what we have. You know, oh, I'm not sure I want more of that. Okay. Well, if it's something we don't want more of, then that seems to indicate an opportunity for change and development. I don't want to be more miserable, more angry, more bitter. Okay, where did that desire come from? The desire to change. It comes from God. See, we've got to understand, we're on, a, we're on a continuum, we're on a journey, we're on a pilgrimage that God is working with us, taking us where he wants us to be. And we have the simple opportunity to say, yes, Lord. Where he shows us change, to embrace that, whatever the cost or pain may be. So I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, all right, he's working in us. We have this aspiration. How can we cooperate? What gets in the way? What are the obstacles? What could we eliminate? How could we work together with him? Remember him working in us, that we are cooperating in this progress, in this process of change. I began to think and look at some of the obstacles. Now we know that there are things that we can't control. Bad things happen. What we, get, what we do know also is that in the circumstances of life, in the world in which we live, in all the sort of things that, that happen, living in an evil world, we can't control them, but we can choose how we respond, how we react, how we, how we turn to them. And that is really where it comes to. Joseph said in Genesis 50, verse 20, he said, you know, talking to his brother, he said, these things that you intended for evil, God has used them for good. So if we choose the right response if we react or respond rightly, then even the bad things can be used for good. Well, one minute, that's, that's getting a bit difficult to get your head around that. You know, that, that, that exceeds the bounds of rational thinking. Well, of course. Of course. Because we're not talking about rational thinking. Not talking about logical conclusion, we're talking about a supernatural, God-inspired, God-directed way of living that essentially supersedes the greatest mind 
it's at a different level altogether. Choosing how we respond. See, I guess in the world in which we live, there's a lot of opportunity to be offended, to be angry, to be bitter. That's a reality. In fact, it becomes an even greater reality in closeness of relationship. closer you are to somebody, the more uh, vulnerable you are to them, the greater the ability they would have not only to, to, to do you good, but to do you harm, whether intentionally or otherwise. That's the very essence of closeness of relationship, of vulnerability. And actually, God designed it. Can't be any other way. But he then tells us in Proverbs 4.23 that it's our job to work with the Holy Spirit to guard our heart. (coughs) That that's something that we can do. How the heck do you do that? We guard your heart by choosing God's way, God's response, God's attitude. And it's a choice that we can make. See, when we're born again, the Spirit of God, we're no longer trapped into a natural level. We can live on a different level. We can live on a supernatural level. That's part of the thing that's plugged into us the moment we're made anew in God, become alive in the Spirit. The ability to do that, ability to live differently, ability to not take offense, whether it's from something that God's done or something that man's done. Ability to live free of that. It's a good thing, you know, to be able to live free from they made me, they did it, it's what they did. To live free from that. Uh, God intends that we live free from that. It's important that we do because hurting people end up hurting people. You know, you, you, you can be the sweetest speaking person on the face of the earth, but you communicate what you are. If you're a hurting person, you end up hurt, hurting others. And that applies to any one of those things. We communicate what we are. He tells us in Matthew 7.13 that there's a broad way that leads to destruction. And and God requires not not just sacrifice, but obedience. He requires that we actually go beyond forgiving our enemy to, to love our enemy. Look, let's just think about this broad way. Because it's broad, it's easy. Uh, it's where most people are. And the Bible kind of gives us that picture. But there's another way, a narrow way that leads to life. And, and that is what God calls us to take. Let me just turn to that scripture because I think I want to look at some of these. I've got quite a few. We won't look at all of them, but Luke 6.35 
This is what he wants. This is about going beyond. But your love, but love your enemies, do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. See, I I want us to understand here that in this development, in this loving God, remember loving God is connected, you can't separate it from loving one another. The two things join together. The Bible says you know how much you love God by how much you love the brethren. You can't do one without the other. It's, It's just completely impossible, according to the word of God. So, what we're catching here is that there's a, a reward that comes after doing good to the enemy. With the use or with the positioning of good attitude, there comes a reward. And in this, in this book I was telling you about... Um, Joyce Mayer tells a story of, of in our own life, and it was, it's such a good illustration of the thing that I'm, I'm thinking about, that it's not enough just to say, um, I won't return evil for evil, but God wants us to go beyond that. We're talking about increasing in love for him, and therefore increasing in love for his people, his children. She tells the story, and she had a horrendous, background. I mean, some of you probably already know, uh, uh, and uh, um, abused by a father, raped by a father, uh, mother knew and didn't do anything, and just horrendous stuff. And then she came to the point where she forgave, and and, uh, they were in a different part, and she didn't have to have too much to do with them. And and then, yeah, she, she got to the point where one day, God speaking, I think she was sitting in the meeting, and uh, God spoke about um, unforgiveness and spoke really about this, about going beyond just uh, forgiving, not hating, uh, not being in reaction to, but actually investing in. And actually uh, spoke to her about um, buying a house and looking at taking on the care of the, of the parents. And so they did this, she did this. And... and Nothing much changed. Some years later, then, uh, suddenly something happened and her father changed and repented and came to God. Uh, and it was, it's a very interesting story because it illustrates she wasn't living in hatred, even in spite of the awful things that happened to her, but that there was an opportunity for her to go further. And going further... Buying the house was like a demonstration of a heart of love and care and mercy. And what I want us to understand is that that what God wants of us is not just an issue of of fuzzy feelings. It, It must express in reality, in action. It starts in attitude, of course. It's fundamental in how we're positioned. It's a hard thing but it will always translate into an outworking. Now, the outworking may not go beyond 
a change of attitude, but that's still a real outworking. And it may have opportunity to go into all sorts of practical things. And of course, we've lived that and believed that over these many years. He says he wants us very clear to forgive as he has forgiven us. Then, of course, there's the story that we often refer to that Jesus told of the prodigal son, where the younger son uh, takes his inheritance, goes off in, in sort of crazy living, gets in a mess, comes back, uh, repents, the father receives him, and the older brother uh, is really um, very unhappy about the whole situation. It's in Luke 15. And I think that as we look at that, there's some interesting points uh, again, which I picked up in looking at some of the things in the book uh, that help us to understand. Because if anybody said to you, uh, is it all right that there's any sort of residue of unforgiveness? We would all say, no. Um, no, no, no. I mean, that, that's, that can't be. But It requires, let me come back to what I said earlier, it requires the openness to the Holy Spirit and the invitation, Lord, search my heart. It's the biblical thing. Lord, search, see if there be anything in me. And we understand that, that this is not just not reacting to the enemy, but according to what God says about loving and whoever you categorize as enemy. The older brother, of course he was outwardly right, but we all know that um, his inward heart attitude was really probably worse than the younger brother. Uh, he was resentful and he was, he was angry. And some of the signs, and I, I thought it was worth just going through this quickly uh, together, uh, different signs, and I'm, there are many of them, I'm just going to pick up some signs of unforgiveness uh, from this story. It's keeping a score. That's the first one, keeping a score. You know, all these years I have served you. You know the story of the prodigal son, don't you? If you're not sure of it, it's in Luke 15, 11 to 21. But uh, he re- recounts, he's keeping a score of everything he's done. He's keeping a record of his good behavior and keeping a record of other people's sins. And we remember Peter asking, so how many times have you got to forgive somebody? And he got an answer, didn't he? sent him thinking secondly it it kind of speaks or boasts of good behavior Um, I've never disobeyed you I've never done anything that was wrong a self-righteous pharisaical attitude remember Jesus said to the pharisee you know your problem is you clean the outside of the cup and you leave the inside dirty you know you're only interested in what's on the outside not what's on the inside whereas God looks on the thoughts and intents of the heart Boasts of good behaviour, thinks more highly of himself than he should. And of course, if you think highly of yourself, you end up thinking lowly uh, of others. Thirdly, complaining. The elder brother, you never gave me a party. That kind of uh, moaning, complaining. We find ourselves complaining. It can be because there's unforgiveness there. Fourthly, it kind of separates, alienates, divides. He speaks not about my brother, but this son of yours. You see the kind of thing that's coming through. These are, are symptoms, signs of unforgiveness. 
Of course, you know, he wouldn't go to the party. He wouldn't mix with those that were there celebrating. Uh, you know, he might end up enjoying it and he'd prefer to be complaining and miserable. You know, there, there's, it's very interesting when we actually begin to look into some of these things. Fifthly, he continues to bring up the offence and finds excuses to talk about what's been done to him. Uh, and if we find ourselves in that, then we have to ask the question. Is there somewhere further, is there something deeper to go in this area of forgiveness? You know, I can learn about me by listening to me. You know, when I, when I hear what comes out, I begin to understand what's on the inside. And the older brother, of course, he's reminding his father he was good and listed the sins of the of the younger son, that which was bad. And sixthly, he, he resented the, the, the blessings that were enjoyed by the person who had done wrong. It's not fair, it's not right, shouldn't have done, shouldn't get this. He did all this wrong, he shouldn't be given this. He's jealous and he's angry at the good treatment that the father gave to the younger son. Romans chapter 12. Verse 14. Let me read this to you. Have you got it on the screen? Um, you have? Okay, you can see it then on the screen. You got it? Is it in NIV on the screen? Okay. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You say, excuse me, I thought we were talking about something about increasing in love for God. Wasn't that what he said that was the subject? This is what it comes down to. This is the reality. You know, we're not talking in some airy, fairy, wishy-washy wonderland. We're talking about the reality. This is what it means. Blessing those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Because it represents what is happening in reality in the real you on the inside. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just a little aside there. It, when you talk about heaping burning coals on somebody's head, you think that's giving them their comeuppance, don't you? But actually, we need to understand it in the context. Um, basically, people used to carry coals, burning coals on their head, in order to uh, maintain the fires of which they were cooking, and it was something that was done. So somebody bringing you burning coals or giving you burning coals was a, a very valid gift. So it's not saying 
if you're nice to them, then you, you really get them in a, sne- in a sneaky way, is basically saying, no, be good and do good, because this is what God wants. Very important. It, just a little aside so that we understand that. We let the Holy Spirit search our heart. We trust him to do what's right for each of us. Lord, search my heart. Search it for anger, for unforgiveness. See, it's very interesting. We heard from Richard this morning that God didn't answer the prayer as he presented it. How are we going to respond to that? See, we're dealing with one another, but we're also dealing with God. When you ask God to search your heart, what do you do if you come up with an issue that, Lord, I asked you to do this, and you didn't do it? Lord, I asked you for that, and you never gave it to me. Lord, there was this thing that we wanted, and we sought you, and you didn't give it to us. See, we've got to be honest and say, even on those things, let's be real. How are we going to handle that? How are we going to handle it? And we've got to understand that the place that God gives us is a place of trust, a place of obedience, a place of sacrifice, a place where we choose to trust him and that our love for him, and we remember we're looking at eliminating obstacles, And it can be an obstacle, an obstacle of disappointment, an obstacle of disagreement. I think you should have done this differently, God. Grappling with that, accepting that sometimes getting our heart right, recognizing that God doesn't always do it. That he knows and understands. So there's this story. In fact, it's it's a you know one of these things a bit a bit trite. She quoted it in the book, but it's it's out there in the well-known sort of story. Could you cope with a story that's a little bit trite? I mean, you're very broad-minded people, aren't you? Shall I tell you the story? This young man going to graduate from college and he set his heart on a certain sports car in this dealer's showroom. His father's very rich and he told his father that's what he wanted as his graduation day present. I can find a lot of fault in that position right there but this is the story all right it's try it makes a point bear with me so finally he, on the morning of his graduation his father calls him in and gives him a beautifully wrapped box and uh, the young man opens it and finds inside a leather-bound bible with his name embossed in gold and uh, 
he, he knew his father knew what he really wanted and he raised his voice to his father and said with all your money can you just give me this lousy bible he stormed out the house and left the bible there anyway the years go on and he becomes a successful businessman beautiful home great family then he realizes that you know perhaps he ought to be uh, reconnected with his father and before that happens he, his father actually dies and then he's contacted to say that his father has in his will um, given everything that he's got to this son who hadn't had anything to do with him for a long time so he goes home and uh, goes through the various papers and sees this bible still new just he'd left it years ago and he opens it and when he opens it he finds that his father has underlined a particular scripture Matthew seven eleven. if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more shall your heavenly father who is in heaven give to those who ask him and he read that and as he read it from the back of the bible something dropped out and it was a it was a key with a, a tag on it and of course it was the tag for that car with the words paid in full on it the point that's being made is that we can miss God because the response that he gives is not quite what we were asking. It's packaged differently. It doesn't come in the form. And I think it's very significant that we heard from Richard this morning and I think God does this from time to time that he asked for one thing and didn't get it because God was wanting to do something else. And that place of love and trust opens the way for us to be able to submit, to deal with the anger, to deal with the disappointment and removes that obstacle that stops us moving on in love and growing in love. And we're talking about removing obstacles. We're talking about an aspiration that we want to see fulfilled as we move on. When I was thinking about these things, you know sometimes you get a flashback. I got a flashback to when I was a little kid. And my, we didn't have a lot of money. And my father used to work long hours um, overtime uh, for, for a certain, quite a long period of the year, essentially so that he could get enough money that we could go on holiday uh, and we'd go to some salubrious place like Ramsgate or somewhere like that, you know, or Yarmouth. And I don't know, I probably was, here's a guess, maybe seven or eight, something like that. And what came back to me was this. For some reason, he'd obviously done something that I was angry about. And I can't remember what it was, but what came back to me was uh, I had bought him a present. And the pre- I could even remember what it was. It was a bath sponge. 
probably cost pennies. You know? And I, what came back to me was, I took that back. I'm not going to give him that. Now, I'm sure I got over it and gave it to him in the end. But it was that. And I thought, what am I hearing here? What I'm hearing is my anger, my reaction can somehow get in the way of my father's love. He didn't stop loving me. He just stopped me really living in the good of it for that, I don't know whether it was an hour or ten minutes or whatever. I can't remember that. I just remember this particular thing I'm telling you. When we're seeking God about removing obstacles so that we can increase in love for him, these are some of the things that we're looking at. God didn't do it how I expected. Or I'm angry with something that he said. And those things can be obstacles that we can choose as they're revealed to us to see removed so that we can move on in what he's got for us. Because for sure, it's his desire that we do grow and develop in love and in the investment with him. You know, sometimes... Again, like we heard this morning, God can give us the best answer to prayer, not just the one that I wanted. What would have been the point if Richard had managed to sleep better but still was living under this lie, this fear, this intimidation? He would have come oozing out in some other way. And of course, it's important that we also are prepared to forgive ourselves in these things and not hold things against ourselves for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works Ephesians 2:10 which God prepared in advance for us to do see God prepares us God forms us we are his workmanship and we're created in Christ to do good works not to be messed up with unforgiveness, messed up with anger, messed up with attitudes, but to get on with the good stuff that he's given us to do, which comes, Jesus being first moved with compassion, it comes out of an unrestricted flow of love. Something that comes in, something that lightens, something that lifts up, something that motivates and projects us to fulfill the very things that he's called us to do. Not to be caught in some back room with some miserable attitude and and, and restricted into some byway with some anger, but to be living in the fullness of what he intended. That's his plan for us. wants us to enjoy okay so we can't understand why he allows suffering well it's very true we can't then we're not God and we're not equipped to do that very interesting uh, you know when you talk about all that non-understandable suffering thing you, you do think about Job Uh, it's very interesting in Job 42 verse 5 he says something like this he said 
And this is after about four chapters of, of God saying, you know, a kind of a paraphrase, but God saying, look, Job, if you're so smart, why don't you try being God for a bit and run the world and see how you, how you get on? Job then comes to this point and he says, after all this suffering, all the things he'd gone through, he said, I'd heard of you only by the hearing of the ear. But now my, my spiritual eyes see you. In God, in his process, brought him through to a place he never, ever could or would have been. New place of revelation, removing these obstacles. Understanding that it's God's prerogative to say no. Guys, come on, let's remember. He said it to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, if it be they will let this cup pass from me. He said, no, it's not. Aren't you glad he said no? We wouldn't be here if he hadn't. There would be no salvation. So he said no. He said no for the good of the whole world. I don't know what the understanding was at that time. So what hope do we have? Well, this is where my hope comes from. Isaiah 6, verse 6. Woe unto me, I cried, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, your Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. God takes a people like you and me, a messed up people, people that are not worthy, and he touches our lips from a live coal from off the altar. Weird terminology. Basically, he makes us right. He sorts us out. There's, there's our confidence. Confidence is not on <coughs> how good I've been or how good I could be. Confidence is based on what he has done and what he's doing. That he takes the mess, the anger, the bitterness, all that stuff that we may or may not have dwelt in for whatever period or whatever recognition we have of it. And he changes. He cleanses. He transforms. He makes anew. He equips that we might carry out the very things that he's given us, the good stuff that he's given us and created us for right from the beginning. So let's think. Increasing in love for God. Right, first of all, recognizing it's he that works in us. Then looking at some of the obstacles that we can work together with him in eliminating. And finally, focusing our direction. Where do we want to go? Our desire. Making our request specific. Looking at the reasons to love. Remembering that 
he loves us first and last and delights in us. When you looked in the mirror this morning, did you see somebody that God says, wow, there's my kid. This is the one I chose. This is the one I chose. Nobody foisted this one on me. I chose you. I know you by your name. I chose you because I love you. See, to dwell in that, instead of dwelling in some of the other stuff, to dwell in that. that, And, you know, as I kind of, I've been enjoying some of this. That's why I ended up singing. Didn't know I was doing it. But when we begin to let and invite the reality of what of, of God's love for us flow over us, boy, there's a cleansing, there's a healing, there's a lifting, there's something very special that goes on. He knows you by your name. Individually chosen. Goes on to say, John 10, verse 29. You know, the Father's got you in his hand. No one can pluck you out of his hand. That kind of security, that place of security in him, where it's not me establishing my security by how good I am or what I've done or what reputation I've got, but he's got me. Let me commend this to you. We're going to read this from the Living Bible. I know it's a Mickey Mouse version, but sometimes it, it does seem to get across the thing. Revelation 3.19. I continually discipline and punish everyone I love. This is God speaking. Okay? Does God love you? What are you guaranteed? Discipline. Getting beaten up. Get the snot beaten out of you. So I must punish you unless you turn from your indifference and become enthusiastic about the things of God. He wants more. Enthusiastic. Oh Lord, you're punishing me again, you're chastising me again, you're disciplining me again. The Bible talks about a turning to reproof, embracing, instead of resisting it, well, Lord, I can't help it. It was that Neil Jakes. It's what he said to me, defending. Instead of enthusiastically saying, Lord, I receive the correction. Lord, I want to change. It's our choice. We can resist it. We can argue. We can defend. But when we see it, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a choice. Become enthusiastic. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. Do your work. Let me move on in loving you. Let obstacles be cleared out of the way. Let nothing of 
of bitterness or anger or unforgiveness in any form whatsoever dwell there because that's an obstacle. I want it eliminated. I don't want to defend it or make a case for it. Of course, God is merciful. Actually, probably doesn't expect us not to mess up from time to time. Doesn't seem to phase him. Seems to cope with it. In fact, he says that he intercedes for us all the time. Romans 8.34. That he constantly intercedes for us. Lord, God, Father. Look, John's away on one again. Can we just intercede him? Reach out your hand by the power of your spirit and clip him round the ear. He promises to forgive us. We confess and repent. 1 John 1, 9. He promises that the thing can be dealt with. And, and his direction, Psalm 27, verse 4. This one thing I seek. This one thing I do. I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's a good direction. That's a good place to seek. Let's finish with this. Revelation four, eleven. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. <coughs> There's a place of focus, a place of direction, a place where God would have us to be. Anybody interested in being increased in the love of God? Hmm? Anybody interested? Yeah? Well, that's what he's saying. Giving us some steps there, opportunity to pursue that. Let's come to worship him. Take opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to make that which is aspirational into something that is actual, to let the Holy Spirit work together with us for the elimination of obstacles and the embracing of positive direction that we might know Him. Yes? Hallelujah. Let's just stand. Let's lift our hands to him. Let's express our love to him. Let's tell him right now that, Lord, I love you. I want to love you more. I want every obstacle removed. I want to move into a new place of knowing you, a new place of worship, a new place where the reality of loving you is expressed in the and the practicality of life. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.